Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. Uh, Take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. It's Dave Ryan. I host the morning show on KWB. You're probably going, Dave, I know this. I'm aware of this. But what I'm becoming aware of is that people are sharing this podcast with people who don't listen to KWB, and they don't care about KWB, but they've really found something that they can relate to through the stories told on this podcast. And every week we talk to somebody else who is struggling or has struggled with and probably continues to struggle with drinking, whether it is a full-blown addiction leading to health problems and hospitalizations like we're going to talk about today that did lead to health problems, um, a good possibility of death, and then the story coming out on the other end. But before we get to that one, I love the feedback. Thanks so much for the feedback from people who say, I got the other day somebody who said, the podcast hit me so hard, I listened to it again, the same episode again, twice in a row. Uh, I appreciate hearing that. This podcast is not for me. Uh, This podcast is for anybody who is struggling and feels like they have some sort of a connection with people who listen to this. I'm going to play a clip from a, a, a high school student who DM'd me this audio message, and I'm going to get right to it. This is from, remember, as a high school kid that took the time not only to listen to the podcast, but to send me this. Okay, I'm just going to record this really quickly to tell you what I'm thinking. So I've listened to season six, episode three and four. I'm, by the way, my name's Matt. I'm a, senior, or a junior in high school in uh, Minnesota. So... I really have enjoyed these episodes of the podcast. They've been pretty interesting to listen to. Also, the alcohol stuff is... I really appreciate the fact that you're talking about this very openly because it is something that's affected... I feel like alcohol or addiction and mental health are something that a lot of people are very worried about discussing. And I really appreciate the fact that you are talking about them because they are things that impact... I feel like everybody's life, including myself, with, you know, family or people, especially people in high school, it's bad. But, you know, I just really appreciate the the uh, open conversation about all of it. I love listening to you on the morning show, and I really enjoy the podcast so far. Uh, thank you. And I tell you, that is super flattering. Whenever somebody who's like my age can make a connection or an impression on a high school student, wow, that's a win. I think I, I love that. And uh, I'm glad that Matt has an open mind and doesn't go, that guy's my dad's age, which I'm sure I'm at least as old as Matt's dad, but he doesn't see it that way. And I'm, I'm super flattered, but even more importantly, besides how I feel about it, uh, is about how Matt feels about it and how Matt is uh, moved by what he sees in his school and every school. Matt's school is no different, let me tell you, no different than any other school. And if you think like Catholic schools or whatever are any worse or any better, um, uh, my experience is it's like Boy Scouts or church camp. There's always the kid that brings the weed to Boy Scout camp. There's always the girl who brings the booze to church camp. And you might think there are a bunch of saints at Boy Scout camp. And most of them are good kids. Hey, let's face it. I was a Boy Scout. Most of us are good kids. We don't want to get in trouble. But there's always somebody. uh, And um, uh, no high school is immune from all that. As a matter of fact, I think probably depending on how old you are, it's probably worse than what you would imagine. I don't know that for sure. When I was in high school, we drank every Friday and every Saturday night, and I mean from like 14 or 15 years old on. And uh, it is amazing 
the volume that I drank at that age because it, it was shocking. And so a lot of people continue to struggle. Matt, thanks for the message. I really appreciate that one. Uh, this story starts in high school. We're going to jump right to a woman named Sunny who is going to tell us her story uh, from beginning to end, the beginning in high school to the end where she almost died. You're going to hear Sunny's entire story. I encourage you to listen to the entire thing because she might have something for you in there that might make you say, ah, I hadn't thought about it that way. At the very least, you're going to know that no matter how much you drink or how much you struggle, you are not alone, even though you might think, you know, nobody does it quite like me because my situation is really bad. Here is Sunny on the podcast this week. I'm going to start this interview from an unusual place. Usually, I know the person's story a little bit, and I've got uh, Sunny on the phone right now. Um, is it okay if I tell everybody where you are right now, Sunny? Absolutely. Well, you go ahead and tell everybody where where are you right now? I am in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. I'm staring out on my balcony, looking at the ocean right now, and it's it's beautiful. Dominican Republic. <laughs> yes. What is this a vacation or what's the story? Can I ask you? It is yes, vacation for my husband and I. Um, you know, much needed time away from our little toddler. We have a two year old, so. Wow. Just some mom and time, mom and dad time um, to get away and relax. And he's he's down at the pool throwing back drinks because he enjoys that sort of thing. And I'm here chatting with you. That's you know, if, thanks for time for taking time to do this. Uh, you picked a great day to be gone from Minnesota because it has been a rotten, wet spring. But uh, there's so many things I want to ask you. But Sunny, let's just start off with what is your story? You are 36 years old. Um, uh, and you have been up and down through the battle of uh, maybe addiction or at least challenging drinking issues. What is your story, Sonny? You can start anywhere you want to. Yes. So it's a pretty loaded question. Um, you know, I guess long story short, I started drinking at the age of 15, um, pretty innocently enough, kind of like a lot of people do in high school. Um, I, I took to alcohol very quickly and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, even from that point, I drank a little more in excess than any, any of my friends. Even my friend's parents would have conversations with my parents being like, you know, Sunny doesn't drink like the rest of the kids in high school. Like there's something different about her. Um, so I just, I really enjoyed it. And it progressed um, from that point on over the next 15 years to the point that, you know, I became a 24 hour drinker. I was drinking uh, about a liter, uh, 1.75 liter of vodka a day. A at day. my very worst. Okay, a day. at your very worst, okay. And that's your standard um, kind of size, that's your standard bottle, or is that the, the little flask size? Off the top of my head, mm -hmm. I don't know. No, that's like the standard, like, you know, in Minnesota, when I was growing up, we always called it a handle. Handle of vodka. So it's like okay. the big handle. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, so before I got sober, that's, you know, that's where my alcoholism took me over 15 years. And it was, it was a slow progression. And there was a lot that happened in between it being very innocent to it being very dark, scary, and life-threatening at that point. Um, I had been hospitalized multiple times for my drinking and really played it off as, you know, 
not that I had a problem, but that's just that I like to drink a lot and I was having anxiety issues and, you know, I would go in and kind of detox and then leave the hospital and be right back there six months later. But then the final time, uh, I was 31 years old. I would hope that this is my, you know, the last time that alcohol put me in the hospital. Um, I don't know what the future holds though, but hopefully that was the last time. Um, and at that point I, you know, 31 years old, I had end stage liver failure. I was completely jaundiced head to toe. I was like a walking highlighter. Um, my hair was falling out. My fingernails were falling off. My body was just completely shutting down. Um, it was a situation where they gave me about a 25% chance at that point of even walking out of the hospital alive because of how much damage I had done to my body over the course of those 15 years. My gosh. Yes. It was very scary. What was it that, you know, we're going to skip around to say I have so many questions. Was that it that made you go, that was your wake up call when they said you could die before you would even have a chance to, you're not going to get better. You're going to die here in the hospital. Was that your wake up call? Was that your low point turnaround? Or was there something else that made you say, Sonny, I need to stop. That was really it. Um, that was my bottom. And I mean, surprisingly enough, I don't even know at what point in my unconscious state, because I was so out of it when I was hospitalized, I was getting blood transfusions. I mean, they were trying to do everything they could to rid my body of the toxins. And at some point I just made the conscious decision to say, you know, I am so terrified of living another day like I was. And the fear of living another day like I was, was finally greater than the fear of living a day without alcohol. And I think that's one of the things that people have mentioned in these interviews and discussions over the last few weeks or months is that they didn't want to live without alcohol. They didn't, they had a fear of coming home and not being able to pour a big old tall vodka or a big old tall, whatever it was. And you somehow, was there a moment when you're laying in bed or when you like woke up or whatever that you said, I've got to stop. I don't know if there was a distinct moment. It just somewhere over the course of that two weeks I spent in the hospital, I finally made that decision that I was ready. And I know that there's nothing, nothing that could have happened prior to that. Nothing that anyone could have said Mm. to make me stop sooner because I was never ready. And when you're in a position of, you know, such heavy alcohol addiction or any sort of addiction, you really, you know, I had to be ready. And for me at that point in my life, I was ready. And I didn't even know it was very unknown whether, you know, after that point in time, my body would be able to fully recover enough. Right. Um, Cause they were just, they were very unsure of what my future looked like. Um, even if I did make it out of the hospital, they said I'd have about a 10% chance of living past 90 days. Wow. And that's going to be scary because at that time you were 30-ish years old, right? Yep. 31 years old. 31 years old. Um, let's go back. I want to talk about, of course, your your recovery and your continued recovery. But I want to go back and I've talked to some people who, you know, it seems like they started for no reason. And then, you, like you know, like you started because like a lot of kids, you're 15 years old 
and it's kind of fun, but your body loved it. Your body took to alcohol like nobody's business. And it, you, you seemed like you loved it a little bit more than the other kids your age. Would that be a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. Was there something between your age of 15 and 31 that necessitated in your mind your drinking? Like, what were you saying, well, I've had such a tough time. I just lost my job. I just went through this, this, this. Were there emotional things? I'm not trying to play psychologist or anything, but were you um, self-medicating, drinking to alleviate any pain or anxiety during those years? I think to some extent I was, but I wouldn't say that there was necessarily any huge traumatic events in my life that kind of triggered that. Um, I think it was more so it just became such a part of my identity Mm. that I was scared who I would be without it. No kidding. So you liked kind of who you were. Sonny, who was drinking, was maybe kind of fun and had a better personality and was more likable, that type of thing? Yes, absolutely. And I I thought I had it all. I mean, from the outside looking in, it, it looked like I was put together very well. I always had, you know, I did very well in school. I was on the dance team in high school. I had a lot of friends. Um, when I got to college, I did very well. Graduated in four years. I went to the University of, Co- University of Colorado Boulder, um, big party school. Oh, yeah. I, I'm from Colorado. The, the legend lives <laughs> on, right? I don't think I attended one class other than having to take an exam because I was more interested in partying. Um, but, you know, and then I graduated. I always had really great jobs. I got promoted. I took care of myself. I was running marathons. So to me, it was like, I'm kind of invincible. And alcohol is just this kind of sidekick of mine that helps me through life. It helps me through the sad times, the happy times. You know, I had a reason to drink for everything. Um, That is not what I expected. You keep going. But I want to tell you, that's not what I expected your story to be. And that's the fascinating thing about not hearing your story in advance. I don't want to interrupt you, but that is not what I expected your story to be. You were what I guess you could say a functioning alcoholic of you were very functional. You're social. You're successful. Everything's great. But you were drinking a liter of vodka a day. And that was my justification was, well, I can't surely I can't be an alcoholic. I can't be that bad if, you know, I have such this great life. What did people say around you, though? Because obviously you had a lot of friends around you. Would they say, God, Sonny, you're so, I had no idea, you, Sonny, you drink too much. Did your friends say things and you're just like, oh, shut up. I'm having a great time. What, how did that go down? I mean, not really because they all just, I just was known as the drinker and the partier. Like, oh, that's just Sonny. Like, she's got her drunk eyes on. Like, she'll be going home to pass out soon. It was just, it was so, such a part of who I was. Mm-hmm. And then. I think the point in my life where it turned very dark, I didn't, I, um, I isolated myself. So people didn't realize that it had become a very dangerous, scary situation. Okay. That's very interesting because I think one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast is secretly struggling. So Mm -hmm. why did you isolate yourself? Was it because you didn't want people to judge you or you wanted to keep drinking without people stop? Why did you do it alone? Why did you decide to, isolate yourself? I never really feared the judgment. Um, It it didn't bother me if somebody was concerned about my drinking because I was going to drink and whatever somebody told me didn't matter. 
Um, I just, it's a very, alcoholism to me was a very isolating, secluded, and like almost embarrassing thing. Like I just didn't want people to know. I feel that's a common theme that with everybody that I've talked to, they didn't want people to know. Sometimes people found out, sometimes kids found out, sometimes partners or spouses knew or whatever, but they secretly drank. They didn't want people to know. But Mm -hmm. even in your isolation, you continued to drink. Just it wasn't as much fun or how is it different when you drank by yourself? Yeah, it, it, it switched at one point in my life to drinking for fun and drinking to be social and drinking to be outgoing and partying to drinking more so to function mm. and basically as a survival mechanism. Did um, you ever, did you, and a survival mechanism, um, did you ever wake up and say, ah, man, I feel like crap. This is uh, better. I'm going to stop for a day or two. Did you ever stop for a day or two or did you ever? Not never, really. No. no. Okay. Okay. I never had the desire to want to stop. I just, I thought at some point in my life, like surely I'll just, I'll grow out of this. It sounds so silly when I look back at it now, but I thought maybe I would just wake up one day and kind of be struck wonderful and not want to drink and get my life together. Wow. Um, When you, I wanted to ask you, you, when we first started talking, you talked about how, like a lot of us, we started, you know, having our first drink at like 15 I was right. I was with you. I was like 15. My buddies, mom and dad were never home, but they had plenty of booze around the house. And uh, me and my four buddies, we would all drink when we were 15 or whatever. Um, Did you ever talk to an expert or did you ever theorize or wonder why it is that Sonny and your attitude and your reaction and your pleasure with alcohol was so much better than your friends? Is there a biological thing? Is it a mental thing? Did you ever wonder or did you ever find out or have anybody tell you why your reaction was so different than your friends? Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of, I know that they talk about how alcoholics can, they go over this and kind of like the big books about big book about alcoholics anonymous. Um, it's like a chemical reaction in your brain. I I honestly don't know how much of that believe I believe. Um, to me, it was just, it was such an obsession and, I always struggled with the fact that a lot of people would be like, oh, well, it ran in my family. And, you know, that's, I'm kind of doomed with that in my future. Alcoholism was not in my family. Mm. Um, So I did kind of struggle for a long time thinking like, why, you know, why am I so obsessed with this? And why do I have such a problem with it? But that wasn't enough for me to be like, well, I have a problem and I need to fix it. It was Like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep on going. And and you did until you couldn't keep on going anymore. So now let's yeah. fast forward back to you're in the hospital. I'm going to guess probably here in the Twin Cities somewhere. Um, um, I was actually in Texas. Okay. I was living in Texas at the time. So what brought you to the hospital? Let's start there really quick. So you just one day you couldn't get out of bed or mom called 911 or your sister. What What happened that day? Yeah, so it was maybe a couple months before leading up to that event. Um, that's when everything, my health just started deteriorating where I turned yellow and I started, um, drinking more heavily at work. Um, there were instances where I'd be passed out under my desk from drinking on the job. Um, I'd be hiding in the bathroom drinking and 
people were catching on. Eventually I lost my job because of it. Um, and then from there I just spiraled. And then it was one morning um, in January of 2018 where I don't really remember what happened, but I fell and I cracked my chin wide open. Oh my. And I needed I needed stitches. It was it was very evident. Um, so my husband took me to the hospital and they took one look at me and said, obviously something is not right with this girl. Um, we need to get her immediate medical attention. And so they did. Can I ask really quick about your husband? Um, did he ever say anything to you? Because nobody knows this better than our spouse. And I mean, in most cases. You know, not really. And our relationship, it was built on alcohol. Um, we met in a bar. Okay. We drank. He drank right on my level, but he kind of grew out of it, whereas I didn't. I see. Um you know, he could go weeks without drinking and it was no problem. And then there was me that just couldn't stop. And he, I think he was truly scared to approach me about it because he just didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to handle the situation. He didn't want to lose me, but he was scared of my reaction. And I think deep down he knew that nothing he could say or do was going to change the situation. I bet that's really um, common that there are people yeah. who I see that my partner or my kid or my mom or whoever is drinking way too much, but I, I'm, I'm afraid to say anything because it's not going to work. And I think sometimes yeah. maybe that, that could have been what it was that he was afraid to say anything. So he just kind of, looked the other way or pretended kind of like you did that there was nothing really wrong. He did. Yeah. Okay. And he was really the only one at that point that knew how bad it was because we didn't live by family. Um, we had moved to Texas for his job. So we didn't have a lot of friends there. Um, so he was really the only person that was front and center to those last couple of years that were very, very dark and scary. And I think he truly just didn't know how to handle the situation. First, I wanted to say thanks, Sonny. We're not done. I'm not done with you yet, but this is really, you are just being so honest with everything. And uh, and I really appreciate that because I think that's one of the great things about this podcast. Maybe few people know that it's a safe place and there's no judgment, but I think it also, in being honest, people see themselves because it's so... It's so honest. It is, um, mm -hmm. you know, it is, it is what it is. And, and people can admit like you're admitting what you've gone through and what your low point. And, uh, and I think that people listening might be like, Oh my God, there really is somebody like me. I didn't know there was anybody else like me who did this and this and this. So you're in the hospital. You don't know whether you're going to live or die. You decide that you're going to stop drinking. Was, how did that go? I mean, did you get out of the hospital and go, Holy shit, I want to drink. Or were you like, uh, uh, I am done. So they, they kind of, I guess in some way required that I go to a treatment facility. Um, which I did. I went to a center in Arizona. Um, cause you know, you can only stay at the hospital so long. Sure. I was there for two weeks, <laughs> two weeks. Okay. Wow. Like, mm -hmm. Um, so I went to Arizona and I can't speak for all treatment facilities. I don't know if they're like this, but where I went, there was like a sort of like a medical ward where you go when you first arrive to like detox. And, you know, I had already been detoxing for the two weeks prior to that. Um, 
but you go and you're under more critical medical care in the event that something traumatic happens. And then you're kind of released into the treatment facility where you can go do all the fun activities. And, you know, the place I went was great. They had a pool, they had horseback riding. Um, I didn't get to enjoy any of that because I was never released from the holding. Area. Oh, okay. Um, they told me, you know, not like I was not coming around enough. My, my levels were not where they needed to be that I could just kind of be set free, I guess, into the treatment facility to kind of, you know, go through my rehab, essentially. Um, they at one point sent me back to the hospital, sent me back to the treatment facility, and eventually they established that they didn't have the level of care that I needed. And they couldn't find another facility that would take me because they thought that I didn't need that level of care. So it was very frustrating mm -hmm. because at that point I was like, I'm ready. Like, let's do this. You know, like yeah. I want to get sober. I want to participate in the activities. Like I want to go ride the horses. Like this sounds awesome. And they wouldn't let me do any of that. And eventually they're like, we can't keep you here because your health is too much of a liability for us. Oh, wow. So after 19 days, I was sent home. Home. Like to your home to recover on your own. Yeah. What happens then? Um, personally, I I didn't know what to do, so I poured myself absolutely full force into AA. Um, I thought you were going to say you poured yourself a full drink. No, that's what no, I thought no. you were going to say. <laughs> so Gosh, I'm glad that's not the case. Oh, I'm so glad too because that could have been an awful, you know, horrible thing. Um, so let's talk about AA and this has come up over and over and the good and the stigma and the bad about like AA is a bunch of people sitting in a church basement drinking bad coffee and having donuts and, 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 but, but so many people have said, Hey, it's the only thing that's worked for me. So you pour yourself full force okay. into AA. How did that begin? I just, you know, I was like, I'm out of options here. What have I got to lose? Um, and it's funny because when I left treatment, they were like, you know, what's your plan? And I said, well, I'm going to go to AA. And they said, you can't get sober on AA alone. Um, and to me, when somebody tells me that I can't do something, I'm, I have that man mentality that I'm like, well, you sure as hell better know that I'm going to do it and prove mm -hmm. you wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Good. So, you know, I, I jumped right into it. The first meeting I went to was a women's meeting. It was amazing. They were happy. Their eyes were clear. They were smiling, laughing. I went on a day where they had a potluck and they were trying to force me to eat these like brownies and cake. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid here because mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah. But it was, it was great. And for probably my, the first two years of my sobriety, I was very, very active in AA. For the first two years, mm -hmm. when you say very active, we talked to a woman uh, named Mary a couple of weeks ago. She goes on Zoom every day and then on the weekends also. Is that what you mean by very active to that level? Yeah. I mean, at that time, we had we didn't have Zoom meetings. It was all in person. So probably for the first three or four months, I went to two meetings a day. Um, I found a home group. I you know, volunteered my services. I got a sponsor. I worked all the steps. Um, I, you know, I probably went to a meeting every day for 
a year and a half to two years. And then I guess life got busy and I still go. Um, I'm just not as involved. And hey, you know what? I mean, going from two meetings a day down to me sounds perfectly forgivable. I don't know anything about it, but wow, you must have really loved it or been a strong, strongly affected by it to want to go two times a day. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything two times a day. <laughs> no, nor do I. That's why it was, it was kind of funny. I look back and it's like, wow, I was very, very involved. But I think I was so desperate and so willing at that point to do anything I could to ch- turn my life around. And I saw the people in the meetings and I wanted what they had. I wanted for the first time in my life, I wanted a sober life. And it was just very eye opening because before that point, like you mentioned before, you know, when you're stuck in addiction or alcoholism, you don't think there's anybody else out there on the planet like you. Really? So even and it's the most lonely feeling in the entire world. And I think that we we've kind of hit on that real realization that if you're a mom that drinks two bottles of wine and your husband knows about the first bottle, but then he goes to bed and then you have the second bottle and you hide the second bottle, empty one in the trunk of your car and throw it out of the gas station, you might think, holy, I'm the only one that does this. But mm-hmm. there's so many people who have the same story with just a little bit different twist on that. I want to yeah. ask you, Sonny, about cravings. Because to me, hearing your story, it's so impressive and amazing. And I'm so happy to hear that you're doing so well. Had you had any cravings during those AA times? Did you like have a meeting in the morning, come home and go, I'm going to go to the liquor store? Or did you always say, I'm done? I really didn't. Um, For me, that obsession just fizzled out very, very early on. Um, But I did keep myself very busy. my house had never been more clean in my entire life than when I first got sober. I, I mean, it. I we're talking Q tips to the baseboard cleaning. Um, you found a different obsession. I found a different obsession. Um, okay. But you know, there were things that I was not comfortable with. Like I didn't want my husband to keep any sort of liquor in the house, any sort of beer. I was like, no, absolutely not. I wouldn't go places where people were drinking. Whereas now. I'm sitting in my hotel room at an all-inclusive resort where the drinks are flowing like lava and everyone and anyone is asking me if I can take a shot or have a drink with them. And I'm perfectly fine and comfortable in an environment like this. What do you do instead? Can I ask you? Cause that's one of the things we talked about on our radio show the last couple of days. It's, it's perfectly fine to say, I don't smoke, but if you turn down a drink People are like, whoa, what are you, buzzkill, party pooper, what are you, you know, whatever. So what do you throw in, what do you, what do you throw in instead? Everybody's doing shots. What do you do? Have a chocolate milk? I mean, what do you do? What do you do instead? Yeah, I, you know, I'm just drinking like virgin daiquiris. But when people ask, you know, do you you want to drink? And I just say, no, I don't drink. And a lot of people are very polite and kind of leave it at that. Um, I was at a like work conference. Uh, a couple months ago and two separate people, you know, we're at seminars all day and everyone's getting loose at happy hour and I'm sitting there drinking my water and I had two separate people like call me a loser because I wasn't drinking. And it's like, really, Mm. it doesn't bother me, but there are people that kind of give you a hard time and pry, but 
I'm very open. If I feel like it's kind of an opportunity to say it, I'm just straight up like I'm an alcoholic. I don't drink. Um, it just kind of, it depends on the situation and the person. I, I, I get that too, because there have been times when I've like, I've stopped all together for a very, very long time. And uh, people are like, hey, you want to drink? And I'm like, I don't drink. And you're right. Most people leave it at that. Most people aren't rude or ignorant enough to what what are you an alcoholic or what's your problem you know what I mean most people leave it at that so uh, here you are all these years later six years later by the way that's that's so impressive and I'm so glad that a hey AA worked for you and I think a lot of people think oh no I gotta go to a fancy really expensive rehab clinic because that's the only thing that's gonna work um, all these years later how is your, I mean, obviously you're sober, you're happier, you are healthier, and you're just, everything is different now. Completely different. My life is just, you know, it's not perfect, but it's a complete 180 from where I was, and I, I couldn't be happier with where I'm at in my life right now. I write down questions when I talk to these people and I meant to ask Sonny a question that I never got to. So after I stopped recording, I said, oh, hey, Sonny, let me ask you this question because I could tell and I bet you could read this too. Sonny is a social person and very extroverted person loves to be around people. I mean, you could get this by the fact that she loves to party and she's one of those people I'm sure that makes friends everywhere she goes. And not everybody's like that. So I asked her. When you are go when you go to your AA meetings, is that did you love it partly because of the social aspect? And I said, if you're introverted, more introverted like me, for example, um, you might not enjoy the social aspect. It's like I don't really want to go where there's a bunch of people, especially strangers. And she said, hey, even introverts can love. AA because they're so welcoming and I know exactly what she means I really do uh, if you get a work with a group of like-minded people they're going to be welcoming here's what I mean when I was in Toastmasters which is that speaking club we're all like you know I expected a bunch of like really extroverted glad handing shake your hand slap you on the back and say hey my name's Ted great to meet you and I'm like I don't want to hang out with people like that no they're just normal people very happy that you're there when I was in I had my radio station band um, uh, we were very welcoming, even if you weren't such a great musician like me, um, we were very welcoming because we were all there just to kind of have fun. Nobody was there to be like, Oh God, Sharon sucks at playing drums. Um, everybody was just welcoming and uh, same with the ukulele club that I've done. And, uh, when I was in the show, Oklahoma, yes, I played Judd Fry in the show, Oklahoma, the theater people are some of the nicest people cause they're all just like-minded. They're not there to judge. Um, uh, they are not there to laugh at people who can't sing well or act as well is very supportive. So I can attest to the fact that there are groups that are like-minded that you don't have to be extroverted to enjoy. And if you want to hang back at an AA meeting, I'm going to guess that uh, Sonny could tell you that it's just fine. You decide whether it's good for you or not and whether you want to go. I'm not here to make that decision for you. Of course, I'm only here to tell you, um, uh, here's what Sunny said, and um, hopefully there's something in her conversation. God, I ramble a lot. Do you ever just want to reach out to your phone and say, shut up? I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to say this. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. Take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. If you want to be on the podcast, uh, we would love to chat with you. Send an email to Dave Ryan at KDWB.com. And if you know somebody who could benefit from this podcast, please tell them about it. And thanks for being here.